Hello, uh, welcome to another uh, Paro seminar. I give these every month. Um, used to be kind of behind Patreon, but now I'm doing them on YouTube. You're my second interview guest. The plan, as many of you know, is for me to have more conversations with people. Kind of, I'll still do the kind of straight to camera talks occasionally, but also want to have interesting conversations. And Cadell uh, flew over for a week online event we were doing last night and uh, so we're going to talk a little together and um, Kirill is someone who I have a deep affinity with in terms of your intellectual journey you know love <laughs> uh, I've, I've known his work for a few years now really since you started YouTube it was how many years ago was that Two. Yeah, well, I started the Less Than Nothing series like 2018, 2017. Oh. Wow, okay, so I remember It goes that. back. It goes back a bit. Um, and Cadell has been doing uh, kind of really deep dives into some very serious texts, bring people on these courses, they create anthologies together. Uh, you can find out more on Philosophy Portal. Um, but the conversation today, which I'm very excited about, is one that uh, whenever you ever hear a speaker say, a lot of people have asked me, usually that means no one's asked them, right? You know, a lot of people have asked me to do a course on, like, no one's asked you, you just want to do it. But this is an exception. <laughs> a lot of people have asked me or at least discussed um, psychedelics and what my thoughts are on that and how it fits, if at all, with kind of the work of parotheology. And... I've been you know, reluctant to have those conversations because it's not an area of expertise. And I wanted to have these conversations with someone whose intellectual work you know, I really respect, someone who um, is reading the same kind of thinkers that we have been wrestling with, um, and you know, begin a conversation. And I imagine this will become a series of conversations, maybe some with you, Cadell, and um, also with other people. But this is really an introduction to a larger conversation uh, that I think will happen this year and in coming years. Again, just a little bit of kind of background to this and you can fill in some of the details. But the whole psychedelic thing in the 60s uh, in America and in the UK, there was a lot of research being done uh, by government and by therapists uh, into the effects. And there was a lot of interest. And then that all closed down and in recent years it seems like there's been a renewed interest again so we're kind of coming back to where maybe we were a little bit in the 60s and 70s before the war on drugs and people use uh, psychedelics just thinking about it, say like for one of four reasons generally uh, there's recreational use of psychedelics there's therapeutic use there is the mystical experience and there is metaphysical inquiry uh, I've got a feeling we're going to talk more about the latter two than the former two, but we may bounce around. But mm -hmm. you know, just in terms of that history, am I kind of right on that? That there was there was a lot of interesting work being done in like the sixties. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that is the. I think the the, the standard or the classical narrative um, is that there was a, a huge impact of psychedelics in what's called the countercultural movement which of course has many socio-political overtones related to uh, civil rights, um, related to what's now LGBTQ rights, um, what's related to um, even deepening movements of waves of feminism, um, waves of secularization. Um, but you know, it's interesting that psychedelics uh, holds this type of mystical 
um, dimension within those socio-political movements. Um, and then, you know, probably the figure for anyone who's interested in looking, uh, following that line of thought would probably be best to uh, research Timothy Leary's work. Mm -hmm. Timothy Leary became kind of the figure um, and uh, in part because he was a psychologist, in part because he was doing research at Harvard, um, and in part because there was a big um, transgressive battle uh, between Timothy Leary and the uh, establishment or the academic, what, 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 you know, where the line is on, on that. And of course, the line became a hard no. Yeah. Uh, in the end, and and then we basically have uh, did he, he lose his job? He lost his yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. As well, there's some others. Like uh, another big one was uh, actually connected to Timothy Leary was um, the, the 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 man who became uh, Ram Dass. Oh yes, we know Ram yes. Dass. Uh, he was also a part of this. Oh yeah. Um, so there are many figures. Those are some of the big ones. You know, Alan Watts also comes to mind. Um, however, um, if you actually look at the like Google Scholar, you look at the history of um, publications, basically it shuts down completely. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. So like there's nothing in the 70s, there's nothing in the 80s, there's trickles in the 90s, and now it's really back in a big way. Do you know, uh, what, is there a particular reason for that or set of reasons? Is it? I think it was kind of an underground mesh network, like almost like, I, you know, in, in like, you know, and I've been a part of these underground networks. So like when I was a part of these networks, you know, it, it, they kind of function like uh, almost like Deleuzean rhizomes, mm -hmm. you know, like a rhizomatic network of, of, of uh, uh, cultural agents, activists who are, who are playing around uh, in um, establishing rituals, uh, building ceremonies, uh, starting little businesses, mm -hmm. um, uh, related to not so much the recreational, um, mm -hmm. recreational um, use of psychedelics happens, yeah. um, but these rhizomatic networks are much more shamanic. Yeah. They're ceremonial. They are aimed at healing. They're primarily aimed at the therapeutic and the mystical. Yeah, these networks. So, could you, when I mentioned those four, um, could you break those down sure. briefly? And if you think Most, I missed anything, um, those four are good, you know, categorization for this conversation. Okay. I think yeah. um, most people in the West, myself included. Uh, whether they think about it or not, actually have their start with psychedelics in some sort of one-off recreational context where yes. they actually don't think much about it, like that it happened. Like usually when I talk to people about it, like, oh yeah, like back when I was 18, I did mushrooms with some friends and I, like it kind of was cool and like, yeah, then I forgot about it. Yes. You know, something like that. That was pretty much when I was younger, the only uh, knowledge I had was recreational because in mm -hmm. Ireland... It just wasn't much of the culture. So yeah, recreational use um, for some people, that was the only kind of experience I had, you know. I right. didn't actually do anything at that stage, but uh, a few of my friends would do mushrooms when they were teenagers, that kind of thing. Exactly. And, and you know, that was my, you know, retroactively thinking about the, the narrative of my relationship with psychedelics. That was my beginning too, but it was, um, I think I did it once or twice as a teenager. I did mushrooms, uh, but you know, I didn't think much of it mm -hmm. in like, you know, it was kind of a trippy experience, but like, I didn't think about it in like a philosophical sense. I didn't think about it in a, um, oh, this is blowing my, uh, worldview apart or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it was it was only anyway so so most people have that recreational context but so so the where it is um reintroduced almost forcing itself uh reintroducing itself into academic intellectual philosophical conversations is uh these rhizomatic networks um helping people in uh, primarily therapeutic or like i said mystical context so the therapeutic context can be basically um processing of a emotional trauma um getting in touch with certain sensitivities which are perhaps uh, unconscious or perhaps um you are numb to um, and the psychedelics might open you up to different dimensions of affect, might open you up to different imen- dimensions of your of your unconscious that you were struggling with uh, or previously just unaware of. Um, and then uh, the mystical dimension of things is basically people who feel um, a type of lack, a type of emptiness, a type of... Um, uh, limit of let's say broadly speaking scientific materialism secular modernity mm-hmm. yep. that you know okay yeah we're in scientific materialism we're in in secular modernity but uh, I don't really go to church I don't really have a religious affiliation I don't really believe in God maybe I'm agnostic maybe I don't really know maybe I'm searching but I feel like there's something missing and and um, oftentimes for many people psychedelics uh, reintroduce uh, a dimension of reality which might be called mystical, might be called a, a reconnection with the ineffable, mm-hmm. a reconnection with the supersensible, mm-hmm. um, uh, opening up dimensions of reality which uh, you have an experiential contact with but you previously didn't know existed. Quote unquote. And this is a type of immediate experience. It's not like to kind of gain knowledge or anything, but it's kind of like to undergo a type of, yes, connection. Yeah, so it's not like, and that's the thing. So, like with scientific modernity and secular, secular modernity, scientific materialism, uh, we are um, usually thinking in terms of positive content, positive knowledge, like uh, my knowledge of the laws of physics. When I was in university, it was my knowledge of evolutionary mechanisms and my capacity to think with those mechanisms and to conduct research with those mechanisms. Um, but oftentimes when we're trained in science or even you know, when we're trained in the, the social sciences or the humanities, those um, forms of knowledge and methods don't necessarily have a connection to my life in a, in a, in a holistic sense. Yeah. So people usually feel a whole... Uh, they feel a whole H O L E where there uh, perhaps is a desire for the whole yep. uh, in 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 the bigger sense, um, and so psychedelics often uh, play some sort of role of mediation of not like that. The mistake with psychedelics would be, uh, and this is a big problem with psychedelics, is like you know you have a mystical experience and you feel like I'm the uh, the Buddha mm. or you feel like I'm Jesus Christ. Um, because of some sort of cultural relationship or some book you've read um, mm-hmm. about spirituality. And then you feel like I'm at the, the divine godhead of all reality. And uh, that can also lead to ego inflation. Mm-hmm. So like you, you then identify, you know, you, you go from being, let's say, Joe Blow on the street to being in touch with the godhead. And then there's a big gap that opens up and, and there's and, really no space to hold, yeah. hold in that gap. And so you have a lot of... Um, you could say psychedelic blowout, but in the positive sense, it's basically um, connecting you with something that um, feels like 
home yeah. uh, in, the, in the experience, yeah. so in the experience. The, so that's the mystical and then the metaphysical. Well, so I, I would, I would, so let's like, what is metaphysics, right? Like this is a big question. Like even like, for example, in the history of philosophy, you have someone like Heidegger writing being in time. And then the next thing he's writing is what is metaphysics? Yeah. Yes. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, what is metaphysics? And like, you know, metaphysics comes, comes to us from Aristotle. And uh, he wrote a, his metaphysics, and, and, and in the ancient world, metaphysics uh, was very closely linked to physics, um, in the sense that in, in the same way at the beginning of scientific modernity, science and philosophy were not yet really differentiated, like Newton's uh, Principia was basically titled under a natural philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, metaphysics is basically um, the conceptual distinctions it's the the logical structures that we use to um interpret phenomena yeah so in this in this context you know whenever i say metaphysics it's kind of like where somebody might take psychedelics in order to uh they think whether it's real or not uh gaining some knowledge as to the relationship between mind and matter or the nature of ultimate reality so so yeah so the mystical is kind of like you know you're having an experience but for some, it's a metaphysical journey, and it's kind of, uh, yeah, in the terms of philosophy, ontological. It's 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 somehow giving an insight into the very fundamental dimensions of being. Yeah. Right. So so like, like you so you, let's say there's a certain let's say let's start it like this. So like there's a certain democratic aspect to mysticism, which I think follow, I'm kind of following Terence McKinnon in saying that is that like the democratic aspect of mysticism is like you take x dose i take x dose we both have access to the mystical ineffable in itself Mm. metaphysics is then how do we conceptually sense make that experience yeah and in regards to conceptually sense making that experience um there's something that is um much more conflictual there's something where we can have different interpretations. Yes. Um, there can be uh, there yeah there uh, there can be basically um, I would say uh, socio-political, socio-cultural consequences. Mm-hmm. So like this is where like quickly I would bring it back to this idea from the counterculture um, and bringing it back for our moment is the, okay. So the counterculture had some relationship to the psychedelic experience. Um, but the counterculture was also primarily constituted by socio-cultural, socio-political yeah. processes, and that is actually metaphysics. Yes. When um, we talk, yeah. yeah. So when we talk about um, the third wave of feminism, when we talk about um, civil rights, these are actually, you know, uh, if we really take the word metaphysics seriously, these are metaphysical yeah. battles. Yeah. So I mean, this is right. This is one of the. Um the reasons why I have been skeptical of the psychedelic movement as such, or movements in that, that a lot of the people who I've read or who I know who are in that world have a very particular type of metaphysics. They, it's kind of, it's almost like, I mean, my skepticism, so when I moved to LA, just as a background, it was funny, I felt like an anthropologist kind of going into a world where you know, this kind of psychedelic thing was massive. And so it was kind of interesting for me to, to encounter that. But the kind of the intellectual dimension around psychedelics was this perennial philosophy, this kind of like, kind of non-dual, kind yeah. of like wholeness, completeness thing. And, and it was yeah. often not very thought through, not very philosophically rigorous. No. It was quite off-putting. And it's funny, so people like yourself, 
I'm, antag- oh, I'm, an- I'm antagonistic with this as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, f- I found myself attracted to the psychedelic um, experience. I was even attracted to, in some sense, the psychedelic um, ethos and sensibilities in many ways. But I was always turned off by the psychedelic metaphysics and mm-hmm. I found it unreflective. And I thought actually that it was what it was obfuscating was antagonism and conflict. Yes. Yes. That exactly. When you can just, and, and that often happen. you know, the funniest thing would be like at a transpersonal non-dual conference, having like the different uh, speakers on the stage, uh, presenting their non-dual picture of the world and getting into uh, fights with each other, yeah, yeah. but like very unreflectively, not realizing that what was going on was actually a crack in their metaphysical picture of reality because yeah. if 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 the ultimate reality was this non-dual one without division like the technical definition of non-dual so this is where metaphysics immediately comes into like philosophical intellectual conflict so like what does non-dualism mean well non-dualism means one one without division yes so if we were really living in a world without division from a psychoanalytic point of yeah. view, we wouldn't be speaking. Yes, there like would, we yeah. wouldn't even be individuated entities. Yes. it's kind of gets the it's got the shoe on the on it's it's kind of got the cart non-dualism as it's traditionally presented, and there are like there are different versions of non-dualism. Yeah. So, but in the most common pop sense of non-dualism, you get this sense that they're putting the cart before the horse because yes. it's like we are individuated entities in the world, and then they think they can go back to some oneness state where there was like. Uh, no cut, no division. And even even if um, even if you cut the world into there is just one, and then there is the illusion of difference. That's still dual, <laughs> you know. Like that's it. So yeah. It, it, so it, as a philosophical, there's system, all these funny yeah, things. It, yeah, it felt. Yeah, and that that always, it was actually one of my friends who was encouraged me. He said, "But just Pete, remember, uh, it wasn't just all of these kind of Jesus freaks because it was a lot of the G- well, a lot of the Jesus freaks who were the." kind of 1970s Christians, they were all acid heads who then got into Jesus. And then what I've noticed is there's a lot of people who were into Jesus who are now getting into acid. So mm. there's there's this interesting... This is the dialectic. Yeah, dialectics. And there's a sense, a friend of mine wrote a book called Getting High. And uh, it was about how we're always trying to get high, whether space technology getting space, get, get, you know, this desire to get high. And... Um, uh, <laughs> It's like, uh, but then my friend said, well, just remember punks also did drugs and like they're not into all of that stuff. And I was like, okay, that's good. There's, 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 there's a, punks. there's a punk scene in the kind of yeah, yeah, the yeah, psychedelic yeah, yeah. world, but they do not have much airplay. Um, that, that kind of more antagonistic kind of thing. I also see like a lot of punk cultures associated with like a straight edge. Oh yeah. Like there's yeah. also punk scenes that are yeah, straight, straight edge, edge, clean. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, was that Henry Rollins was pretty straight edge right. in his day. Yeah. Yeah. Because so people like yourself and Richard Boothby, who has done some, he has done supervised psychedelic uh, experience as part of his therapeutic, as a part of a therapeutic model. Mm. And um, I'm going like you and him are both people who deeply value and understand this idea of the divided subject and yeah. the idea that kind of in a sense this wholeness is a type of fantasy that can be can be different so i would say to you at first is like well how do you square that circle um is there a psychedelic experience for you that is not about and i'm going to put words in your mouth because you said this to sure. me earlier the not about addition some experience of some substantive divine but a type of subtraction a type of loss yeah so I mean, how how I how I square this circle with the the 
um, the whole and the, the divided subject is basically and um, and this you know this is something that I couldn't have actually articulated in a philosophical sense unless I not I can't just get this knowledge through the psychedelic experience mm -hmm. it required that I um, do put in the philosophical work yes. to be able to yes. um, sense make and 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 to be able to talk to you about this in in a in a linguistic context is I actually think that what uh, is going on with a psychedelic experience is that um, you reconcile yourself with the cut or you reconcile yourself with the division as positive. So the way I think about this is like, um, and the way I've experienced this is like, it's almost like it, it, it can take you back to that feeling of um, being born. It can take you back to that feeling of being in the womb where you are the cut. Mm. Like it's like reality is whole in the womb, but then there's this cut and you exist on the condition of the cut, yeah. which is you being born, yeah. and you are in the cut. Yes, um, and and you and that's precisely it. Your identity, your becoming, your self notion exist on the condition that there's a cut. Mm. And I think the unreflective move is to desire the oneness before the cut. Mm. Yeah, but the self reflective move is to actually see the cut as positive as a condition for your becoming. Yes. Yes. So, so that's yeah. that's that's sort of how I think about it. So this is it's almost like because if if there is if psychedelics has been kind of very connected to perennial philosophy and the philosophy of the whole W H O L E, then you're saying that it's possible to uh, take psychedelics as an experience of the whole H O L E. So these are the two kind of competing <laughs> philosophies, mm. um, and that that interests me, and mm. I am drawn to this idea that if if there's a connection between psychedelics and kind of the work of psychoanalysis and paratheology. It's going to be in this, not you take this substance to kind of like gain some sort of mystical, substantive, oneness, non-dual, monist kind of experience, mm -hmm. but somehow it brings you into a, an acceptance, an affirmation, and even a joy of our, our division of the yeah. cut. And, and, and the unity of identity and difference, mm -hmm. basically. And I think that's really what it comes down to is that, like, because there is a cut, there's identity linked to difference. There's identity linked to otherness. And what the most unreflective sort of forms of consciousness are always looking for is a way for their identity to reduce otherness to a symmetrical image of itself. Mm-hmm. And this is like basically a mirror image, right? And so like in Lacan's work, it's the, the mirror stage, mm. right? Where you're looking for a symmetrical other. Mm -hmm. um, and this is basically a function, you know, if you go into the psychoanalysis, and to me this makes complete logical sense, is that if you go into the psychoanalysis, this comes into basically your ego or yourself um, has its origin in uh, an impotent body. Like if you think about what it's like to be a baby, just think about what it's like to be a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, like I was talking to some friends recently about like, how long does it take before you know how to shit? Mm. Right? How long does it take before you know how to walk? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you think, well, like I can walk. I mean, it's, it's, I take it for granted. I can, yeah. I can, I can control when I shit. Yeah. I take it for granted. But like a but you learn when a that. When a horse is born, it, it's, it's walking within seconds. With humans, it's a With fucking humans, disaster. disaster yes, it's a yes, disaster yeah, because yeah. It, we're, 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 such a, we're such a paradox. Mm. The human, and I think like, for example, the theologian, 
we might even call him a pyrotheologist. J.K. Chesterton would oh, yeah. would say something like, you know, that you know, we we are this ultimate paradox of like a of of a of an impotent animal and like a superhuman uh, consciousness. That like we hold these both dimensions in us. Yes, and Pascal's very good on that as well. Yeah, yeah, many many thinkers are really good on that, but. You know, it's it's just, you know, why do we want, why do our identities want to collapse the otherness? It's because we feel impotent, mm-hmm. you know, and this is like takes us to Lacan's notion of like symbolic castration and stuff like that. This feeling of impotence, this feeling of and and, and that has socio-political, socio-cultural impl- 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 implications like I feel like. You know, who doesn't feel impotent politically? Mm. Who doesn't feel impotent economically? Who yeah. doesn't feel impotent sexually, right? Like all of us have some struggles in like what I think could broadly be called libidinal economy or libidinal politics. Mm. Uh, some confrontation with impotence or like as you always emphasize, some confrontation with lack. Some, some, and, and that's why it's so important when you emphasize the, the communal dimension in pyrotheology of a community of lack, a community of contradiction. Mm. That basically is a community of people who have accepted the cut have accepted the 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 impotence and are willing to face it and work with it which basically means that their identities are um capable of moving and relating to otherness in a different way yeah let me do a quick not a quick fire round but let's tell you all of my skepticisms or concerns and one of them connects with this idea of political impotence that we feel impotent and uh, I've got a feeling you're going to be empathised with some of these. Uh, so we'll see. So first of all, I'll say that yes, my experience with psychedelics and people who I know are on that is that it can and does sometimes give them this experience of deep insight, deep power, hearing hearing messages from God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It kind of connected with that a depoliticisation in many ways. So they kind of look and they. I had one friend who said that, you know, in the aftermath of psychedelic experience, they looked at this homeless person and they realized that they were one with this person. And But there was kind of an apolitical dimension to this, you know, and in my experience in L.A., the people here in it, it doesn't feel like there's a materialist kind of like connection with the world, like asking questions about economic conditions and all of this. It feels like. You can have this experience sometimes of profound oneness with God, messages from the divine, mm. um, power and connection, mm. um, uh, but just just seems to lack um, teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I totally I totally agree. Um, so, for example, um, whether or not that I mean, this, see, the thing is, is that. People are always looking for the one solution to all the problems, mm. right? And that's that takes us back to this problem of identity being fundamentally linked to otherness and, and trying to reduce. So you say, oh well, I've 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 heard the message from God now, or I've had the mystical experience, or now I've I've had some contact with Jesus. So now uh, I don't need to think about economics. I don't need to think about politics. I don't need to think about sexuality, mm. right? That's very convenient but actually that is a form of like almost psychotic uh, dis- disillusionment and and even even psycho- psychotic uh, detachment yes yes right um so no so, i mean it's it's about understanding like so it's like psychedelics are very challenging and the mystical is very challenging because it's difficult to categorize mm-hmm. um and and so the problem is, is is we can't let that 
um, experience. I think there is a place in our societies for that experience in the sense, in the same sense that when I grew up as a kid, um, there was a, a place on every corner for a, for a liquor store mm-hmm. or for, um, for cigarettes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that there should be, a, a um, a space in our, I think that there's potentially a way to, uh, upgrade our society's relationship to, um, substance, uh, to, 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 to getting high. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, there, there are, there are, there are there, you know, all ways of getting high are not equal. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, uh, entheogens, I think they're best called or, or psychedelics are, are, uh, do have a positive role in our society if they're contained right. But they are not uh, a panacea. Mm-hmm. They do not solve your economic problems. They do not solve the problems you might have with your boss. They do not solve uh, whatever your company's revenue. They do not uh, help you uh, interact with the opposite sex. They do not help you, uh, not necessarily, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. So, so we have to understand their role, their place, and, 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 and their limit. Mm-hmm. And that's, that brings us to the crucial problem with a lot of psychedelic philosophy is that it doesn't know its own limit. Yeah. Because, you know, like, you know, Deleuze talks about in Guattari, they talk about some materialist psychology, but saying that almost like if you want to, you know, if you want, and this is more therapeutic than anything, but if you want to kind of like experience um, uh, healing of some sort, it's kind of you have to take, take into consideration our economic environment, our political environment, Absolutely. the alienation. And so to what extent is this return to psychedelics and this increase in psychedelics like a, a, a solution to the problem of alienation in contemporary society but it's a kind of it's a solution almost like drinking it kind of can numb you a little bit to the to the profound sense of alienation within their political and economic system uh, but without giving us the teeth to, to to try to kind of change that system um, like yeah. is, is there, I think yeah no I think that's a fantastic question and it just actually reminds me of something that came up in uh, in uh, a what is sex of the difference between Baju and Lacan in regards to wandering excess and the minus one so just like I know not to get too technical with that but like you could view the explosion of interest in psychedelics as a symptom Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to a solution. Yes. Um, as that, you know, what is that symptom pointing towards? And I think that that's the role of, of philosophy, where, where, we ha- where we have to say that um, your, psychedelic, uh, your psychedelic experience um, is not um, a, a solution to, again, the, the sexual, the political, the economic dimensions of your life, but it can potentially give you um, a new perspective to confront those yes. issues, and that's because you mentioned because so there's a crisis today in terms of say um, uh, sexuality, and more and more people are you know opting out of dating, opting out of relationships, are having purely contractual sexual relationships with like OnlyFans, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. avoiding the toxicity of the mm-hmm. other, all of these kind of things that we're seeing today, mm-hmm. increasing celibacy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so the worry is again, psychedelics is can provide a um, a kind of uh, painkiller, a way to kind of like avoid a lot of legitimate problems in terms of sexual difference, in terms of alienation. I agree. Society. Yeah. Um, and to, but to what and to what extent can it be used to 
to address those and to what extent are they used by people to kind of like I guess cover over or numb the pain right like the thing is is like I think that the, the, the way the place the, the, the first I would say there has to be a limit of psychedelics like it's not you can't just be you can't be using it to solve all problems that's yeah. the wrong approach but but the the positive thing about psychedelics is that it's not a numbing agent Okay, yeah. Psychedelics are that I would differentiate psychedelics from alcohol or something like like or or or, or um, I don't know other harder or hard, harder drugs um, in the sense that uh, they actually conf- if you're in the right set and setting, which became a, sort of a catchphrase. I mean, you can use it if you use psychedelics in recreational party context. You might just be using it to bypass, right? But but if you're using it in a, me- in a set and setting, just for people like set is your mindset and setting yeah. is this the environment. So exactly. You go in with them, they talk about a good mindset, a like, positive mindset. And if so. you're if you're doing mushrooms at a party versus you're doing mushrooms in a in a contained psychotherapeutic environment. This is like uh, the difference of set and setting. Yeah. Or you could do psychedelics in a religious ceremonial context, which would be another example of a set and setting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, something like that. So, but but the the, the point the point being is is that um, if you're using psychedelics in the right set and setting, what's going to happen is is that you are going to be confronted with um, the whole of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you're going to be confronted with all the emotions. Mm-hmm. So, so ideally, what we really need are processes after those experiences to help people sense make what those emotions mean for the real of their life. Yeah. And the real of their life is not the the harmonious one. The real of their life is that problem with your partner, yes. or the real of your life is that I don't really know what to do with my life, or that real of your life might be how do I combine my interest in art with paying the rent next month yes and you know and this is where Richard Boothby is interesting so you know he tragically lost his son to suicide um, and he wrote a beautiful memoir about it came out last year you know the story you've talked to Boothby um, and he uh, in a controlled environment with with therapist used small amounts of psilocybin precisely as a way to be able to not avoid a confrontation with the, the suffering and the pain but precisely to provide a context where that could be looked at and tarried with and wrestled with and that was refreshing to me because again my experience my small experience with people in that world is it's not so much used to kind of enter into the fray and the difficulty but often has been used as a way out but as you're saying it's like fire you fire can burn or it can heat and the way that the set and setting is important. Um, and yeah. Now, this does bring me to my next skepticism uh, or mm-hmm. question. And it's the idea that I'm skeptical, but I've got question marks that, that you can access the unconscious through meditation or drugs or some any kind of higher consciousness stuff. So the Lacanian idea that, and, but coming from Freud, that the unconscious is in a way encountered through the Freudian slip, through the power praxis, through language itself. Um, mm-hmm. But there is some extent to which you would say that you think you can encounter the unconscious. 
Probably not in the way that most psychedelic philosophers might think. So, like, yeah. when we think about, for example, the way in which we're thinking about the unconscious in a Freudian sense, like you already mentioned, we've got what? We've got dreams, we've got slips of the tongue, and we've got jokes. Yes. Now, another thing that we would add to that is a shattering love encounter. The shattering love encounter would be basically another place where the subject emerges in a, in a discontinuity and a rupture mm -hmm. um, uh, of itself. And I would say that when people identify their unconscious with the images that they see in a psychedelic trip that would be the false uh, notion of encountering the unconscious this would be maybe more of a Jungian interpretation mm. um, but I think the way in which psychedelics could be in, in, interpreted and in being encountered in psychedelics in a Freudian sense would be in their shattering nature so uh, in a in a full blown psychedelic trip, you are shattered, um, and 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 you are ripped apart. And it's not so much the images, the excess that you experience in your psychedelic uh, in your psychedelic trip. It's more that there's a radical rupture, there's a radical discontinuity in the before and after of that experience, and it's basically reconciling yourself with that rupture, that cut. Because you know the unconscious is obviously a very difficult subject to get your head around. My current way of thinking about the unconscious um, is that the unconscious, because there's 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 a difficulty because in one sense the unconscious is a dimension um, or a, a crack, and not a, a, the it's the it is the the void. It's not something that you can access, so it's unconscious, and yet. In another sense, the unconscious is what you encounter through slips of the tongue, through paraphrases. So the way I would boil it down is to say, you know, the unconscious is this split in our, in our, in our subjectivity mm -hmm. and how that split manifests itself in our desire and in our language. So it's kind of both. It's the, the unconscious is simply this the name for a rupture but it's also how that rupture is sedimented in our historical contingent lives now i'm saying that because i think something like 5-meo dmt um, potentially helps you encounter the unconscious purely as the nothing yeah i think 5-meo dmt is probably the cleanest cut in the psychedelic universe it's also the most powerful it's typically not necessarily associated with hallucinogenic images mm -hmm. it's much more connected with a dramatic uh, yes uh, dramatic rupture so you almost you kind of like there is no you inside outside me you there's a there's a kind of an absolute blurring of all of that and I, so i kind of wonder if you go like well yeah that's kind of an encounter with this primal repression or this kind of it's it's an encounter with a with a, a right. fundamentally disruptive experience yeah it so, is a fundamentally yeah. disruptive experience yeah so and the reason why i'm thinking this i'm thinking out loud this is fun to talk to you is that this is why potentially it's it's not it's not something that can take the place of analysis no and precisely because analysis looks at the unconscious through, as it sediments. I have a story about that. Oh, yeah, brilliant. So I have a story about that. So, so when I was doing research on the history of uh, psychedelic philosophy, I came across the work of, of Stanislav Grof. And Stanislav Grof is, is a, he's, he's, he, he is, in some sense, you know, the guy uh, in many ph philosophical psychedelic circles. And, you know, his story, I like to reverse his story, basically, because he was first influenced by Freud and Jung and was uh, working with psychoanalysis. 
Um, but then when he encountered psychedelics, he thought he found something deeper or beyond psychoanalysis so that we could use psychedelics in a psychotherapeutic context in a way to get around free association. Mm. And I see this actually as a regression. Yes. Because yes. if we, if we, as we both know, like if you go back to the origin of psychoanalysis, it started with actually methods of hypnosis. And so when I say that, psych, you know, Groff thinking that psychedelics takes us deeper than psychoanalysis, actually I think it's taking us back to pre-psychoanalysis. It's mm. taking us back to the more, to the methods that were more dealing with hypnosis. Yeah. And suggested and and being suggestive of the unconscious. And I think that this is where we actually see shamanistic like figures who can potentially, yeah, get themselves involved in very uh, questionable ethical behaviors and in, in, in regards to um, uh, suggesting even a sexual or, or political dimensions where yes. uh, there's there's un, uh, unethical, where basically you're opening the unconscious in a way to bring people to their most vulnerable um, and, 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 and playing around yes. in that vulnerability, yeah. which is the opposite of what you want to do as a psychoanalyst. So like, so for me, it's kind of the opposite way is like, whether it's hypnosis, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's some sort of other, um, you know, pre-modern, pre-psychoanalytic technique to open your mind, um, you can't get around speech. And you can't get around the speech of the unconscious and you can't get around the sedimentation of that speech throughout your personal history with uh, intimate uh, familial dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oedipal or non-Oedipal, I don't care. Yeah. Um, uh, intimate uh, partner relationships when you were going through puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, your intimate relationship to... Um, political economic context which may or may not be reflecting uh, earlier parental dynamics yes all of that is your responsibility mm-hmm. so it's not uh, and this is the Lacanian point it's not just because we have an unconscious that I can oh uh, 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 blame it on the unconscious mm-hmm. You're responsible for your unconscious. Yeah, yeah. And so psychedelics aren't a way to get around this either. So, you know, what I'm saying is, that, and, and, and I want to be clear here, is like, I mean, I'm, on, I, I'm basically a psychoanalytic philosopher. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if you're looking for the, the way, of course, there's no the way, but you can't get around free association, methods of free association. And you can't get around uh, the labor that goes into uh, developing your own metaphysical uh, understanding. Yeah. Also, um, you know, in terms of psychoanalytic practice, the main way of of encountering the unconscious is through another, the analyst, the analyst who is a mute, silent. You're not even seeing them. If you're lying on a couch, you're looking at the mm. the ceiling. So there is this empty presence there mm-hmm. that you then project onto and then you engage in transference and they become the figures you know these intimate mm-hmm. figures from your past um, and there is a sense in which you know obviously within the psychedelic experience it can be quite a kind of enclosed fortress experience it can, it can be quite autistic in the, sen- the technical sense of that term of being kind of like disconnected now which is very positive in a way. So we make, um, you know, somebody wants to meditate, be on their own, but you can't replace 
the idea that I encounter those intimate relationships and what's going on in me precisely by, if you're my analyst, putting them onto you and you as the analyst experiencing and feeling that transference and kind of reflecting on and feeding back to me the transference that I'm doing. So there's a certain sense in which like there's it, there's something important and really good that can be done through private meditation and private reflection. But what interests me right, about that analysis doesn't is involve the, the other. Yes, it doesn't involve the other. Yeah, that's right. I think yeah. I think I think yeah, if if you're so it's interesting. Um in my experience at Buddhistic retreats or Buddhistic sanctuaries, um, oftentimes uh, I would, I would, uh, of course, uh, to some degree, um, take seriously the practices of meditation that they were teaching and and so forth. But I was really interested in talking to them about why they found themselves at a Buddhistic monastery, and oftentimes it was due to heartbreak. So. The, here's the thing is what is heartbreak so I was bringing up like that shattering love encounters can also bring you to the contents of the unconscious right and um, in a shattering love encounter what you're dealing with is 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 the zero level of the problem of the other mm-hmm. in regards to your identity and the difference with your identity yeah. um, and and it's it's bringing you to all those intimate materials of your first encounter with the other the mother yes right uh, or, or, or the intimate relations of your early life um, and that feeling of impotence, mm. right? So, so, so Buddhism is is a way, in some sense, to um, cultivate a relationship to like an otherness within, which mm. is like a. It's almost like trying to de-other the other, mm. in some sense. Uh, it's it's a way to de-other the other, and uh, is one way to maybe think about it. Um, but. Ultimately, when we're coming to psychoanalytic solutions to this problem, we have to develop a different disposition to um, con- is, is, is to to confront the the radically other as extimate as mm-hmm. as which which is almost like the internal overlap between the internal and the external and my fantasies with the other. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that we can uh, call like say samsara an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's in some sense samsara is an illusion, like but it, like a real illusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so so there's 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 a, a really um, fruitful. Dist- I've always thought there's a really interesting um, philosophical location is to think the difference between Buddhism and psychoanalysis on the question of um, motion, on the question of drive, on the question yes. of the unconscious. Right. The consequence. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and on this notion of the other then, so something like MDMA strikes me as ex- bringing you new experience where of course you feel this empathy with the other, you feel this one, but there's a little part of me that's like, it feels like it's the mirror stage, it feels like you're, in, you're kind of like all the difference between you and the other, all of that is kind of like you're seeing the other as an extension of yourself. There's a, it's, there's again, so there, again it feels like there's it's actually ironically a disconnect from the other even though you can might be narcissistic yes it's a narcissistic kind of like love basically yeah 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 um so i mean at the end of the day so like and this is the thing is like there is no solution with a capital s to the other other than um your capacity like so let me give the example of me and my my personal history my personal life is when i was in my early 20s uh, I had fantasies of monogamy, fantasies of the one, mm-hmm. 
where basically what I didn't realize is that those fantasies of the one, those fantasies of monogamy were an attempt to reduce the other to the one. Mm-hmm. Now, in some sense, now today I'm still sort of committed to the ethics of monogamy, but it's almost like a monogamy of the other. Mm-hmm. Where really what you're trying to do is cultivate a certain stance within yourself or cultivate a certain disposition within yourself where, of course, you can't handle all the otherness. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't handle all otherness. That's impossible. Yeah. Like, the total Lacanian reel is just going to wipe you out, Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, there is a space where you can work with the other. Uh, and it, but it, it, it's, a, it's a genuine difference. Like it, it, and it requires, basically, ultimately, it requires you becoming comfortable with working through uh, the contradiction of the other. Like, where you, like if you have space for... If you ha- it, the problem is always the problem of the not one, hmm. basically. Because you have two people, and they're both... Like, in a traditional, traditional monogamy, traditional patriarchy, basically, that was a way to basically uh, reduce... The woman to the man mm. like in a traditional patriarchal traditional traditional home the wife is best silent in a traditional patriarchal <laughs> right like like the like in in in, in, in in its most extreme sense in its most extreme sense in yes. its most yeah, extreme yeah. sense like the wife is the wife is silent the wife is in the home and the the the, mm. the man has the the authority over yeah. the home if you have a modern monogamous relationship where both the man and the woman have a full voice uh, if you have a modern relationship where both the man and the woman's um, personal and um, professional lives matter, mm. uh, well, you're not going to be able to maintain that relationship unless you can work with genuine otherness. Yeah. Uh, unless you can work with genuine contradiction, which is ongoing and always involving compromises and always involving potential uh, uh, balances of power, which is um, always presenting you with, in some sense, a little bit of an ethical nightmare. Yeah. and psychedelics aren't going to solve that but but in certain contexts you could do a psychedelic mediated psychotherapy in a couple's context where you could potentially um, handle certain materials that might be difficult to handle otherwise it's again not a cure-all but it it can be a way to cultivate empathy for the other side it can be a way to cultivate empathy for for the other yeah Yes. Uh, if it's held, usually that. But e- even then, when it comes to couple therapy, the, there's always the problem of the third of the mediation. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the whether it's the therapist is uh, ideologically charged as a feminist, or whether it's right, and she's gonna she's gonna always side with the woman or something like that. You you always have the problem of the. It's hard to find a neutral third party to help mediation in a genuine couples conflict, yeah. which ultimately. Um, to me means it's 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 ultimately you the other and the abyss yeah in the end that's the neutral third party really yeah (laughs) yes Um, I've got a couple more Um, well yeah we may as well do them and then I'll outline it's I say this has been a really nice kind of thinking out loud and I say I'll kind of I'll outline in all of the different questions that we brought up here Uh, the next one I suppose very quickly is I think um, it's important to bear in mind and I don't see this in the literature or with my people I know here in this world but to bear in mind that if you're neurotic or if you're psychotic you're gonna have a very different experience of psychedelics absolutely yeah and you know a lot of people don't understand the structural differences between those two frames of desire and language yeah, yeah. and 
I I That's kind of go yeah like you know I can understand why neurotics kind of can get a lot out of these experiences of the psychedelics. Yeah. Um, my thoughts on some of my friends who maybe have psychotic structures and do psychedelics yeah. it's a lot more of a dangerous i agree path <laughs> and that that hasn't been that, that actually would be an avenue where because the psychedelic research has only really gone mainstream and it is going mainstream mm-hmm. but it's only just gone mainstream within the last decade um and uh there has been basically no attention to psychedelics from a psychoanalytic perspective. Mm, yes, because very little stuff right there. Yeah, it's a huge work. problem. Yeah, it's yeah. a and and part of the problem it does have a little bit to do with a, a, a certain type of psychedelic narcissism, where uh, psychedelic researchers don't want to see psychoanalysis as um, actually a, a form of knowledge or a form of praxis, which is in some sense um, superior on the level of mediation. Yeah. Um, uh, they would like to see psychedelics as a, basically an answer, which is a, like like I was get telling you about Groff, where he thought psychedelics uh, replaced the need for for, yeah. a, for a psychoanalysis, for example, yeah. or or somehow beyond uh, uh, Freud and Jung, and 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 allowed us to, for example, reconnect with the shamanistic ways of the pre-hunter, uh, pre-historical hunter-gatherer societies, which were in touch with the life wisdom that we we've lost, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right, so so that's that's a field that's 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 fresh to to investigate, and the question that I think should outline that investigation is, if you took take a look at the major categories in psychoanalysis related to on the side of the neuroses, you have hysteria and you have obsessional neuroses, mm-hmm. and then you have psychosis, and you also have perversion, mm-hmm. and uh, there's actually just recently been introduced, probably historically mediated. The category of autism. Yes. Yeah. So you let's say we have four categories. Yeah. We have the neuroses. I'm trying to figure out whether I think autism is a four structure. No, I'm very interested. Who knows? Very good. I don't know. But, yes, I don't, but there's but books on it now. There's books on it now. Yeah, yeah. Bruner, you know. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's books on it now, and and and, and, and people who are interested in the subject, I would yes. encourage. This is a fresh area of investigation really that we should be. Area. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we should be in. So let's say we have a, a tentative quadrant between the neuroses, which were the ground zero of psychoanalysis with Freud, the obsessionals, the hysterics. We usually sexuated between men and women, traditionally. Uh, You have the psychotics and the perverts and the autists. Um, And those structures of of psyche, you know, famously do not uh, lend themselves to analysis. Yes. Um, The ones, sorry. Perverts because they enjoy their symptom too much. Psychotics because they don't even uh, are capable of engaging in transference with the analyst, and autists maybe the same. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to do research on that topic. Yeah. But but certainly with psychotics and perverts, they don't lend themselves to analysis in the same way. Yeah. And 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 so we also have to be. And this is where I think the movement of the Slovenian school to 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 philosophical psychoanalysis is. We also have to recognize the limits of psychoanalysis. Yes. Yeah. Um, psychoanalysis, I think, should be questioned within the political context of neoliberalism. Just the simple fact that you have to pay for an analyst and go through that process, and you know, in the back of your head, you're always like, "Well, I have to go through an." Like sometimes Freud would say, "You got to go through an analyst for 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 four years, five years." Five so I got to pay for an analyst <laughs> for four years, five years. But yeah. that, that's that's a, that's a serious problem, yeah. right? So like that, you get the question of. Uh, you know, should uh, psychoanalysts be included in our in our universal health care? Mm-hmm. Right. I would I would I would support something like that, I suppose. 
but um, you can get it here, um, but it's hard to. You can get it as part of a national health service, right? Um, but, but, but a genuine, not, much, not not the genuine yeah. four days a week, you know. No. Uh, so and so and then consequently, what's happened is the degradation of the field of what we call psychotherapy, which is um, basically practices which uh, do not question the political economic horizon and which are basically serving instruments and uh, utilitarian aims of of capitalism, which is which basically is a fancy way to say how uh, therapy becomes how quickly can we get you back to work. Mm. Right. Like uh, if you've got some sort of psychological issue, which is preventing you from being a functioning cog in the machinery. Right. How quickly can we get you back to work? It's like basically mental health. For me, the term mental health is primarily. How can we get you back to work? How can we get integrate you better into your neoliberal environment? Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Your environment. (laughs) (laughs) How can we reintegrate you back into the utopia that is neoliberal capital? Yes. yes. Whereas uh, analysis at its best is uh, enjoy the fact that you're not part of the world. (laughs) Enjoy your your disconnection. Enjoy your symptom. Yeah, right. and, yeah. and, and, you know, enjoying your symptom is obviously a slogan that the Slovenian school developed. But, you know, if you think about enjoying your symptom, I think about enjoying my symptom, it's uh, notoriously unproductive mm. on terms of capital, right? Yeah. Like yes, uh, yeah. enjoying yeah. your symptom is not a, a productive, uh, an, yes. it, 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 it's, it's disruptive. Yes, yes. Um, and, and it doesn't fit. Yes. Right. So we have basically, and so this brings us back to the themes of pyrotheology is like, a society, or, and also Todd McGowan's work, where he has the, the universalization of non-belonging, yeah. a society of non-fitters, yes. uh, a yes. society, you know, and that's basically a community of lack or a community of, of is, is basically uh, reconciliation with the fact that there is no place to, as it were, fit. Uh, the subject does not fit. Mm-hmm. The subject is not a, a neatly uh, categorizable thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so... I think with that, I pretty much kind of said like my my initial kind of questions and thoughts, which were one, the way that psychedelics have traditionally been connected to a certain form of metaphysics and a certain mystical experience of unreflectively, unreflectively. Yes, exactly. But but what interests me is the possibility which you're we're talking about and you're bringing up, which is psychedelics that actually bring you into a connection not with the w-h-o-l-e but with the h-o-l-e that i uh, potentially so like let's bring it back to the four categories we're working with recreational therapeutic mystical and metaphysical is that what's useful with these categories is like understanding the set and setting and understanding the limitations of each and also understanding the potentialities of each so that we don't use one as like uh, a the solution basically so like so recreational is basically, you know, recreational, we're just talk, we're not talking about anything special. Yeah. We're just talking about, you know, the same way that you might go for a drink with your buddies on a yes. Friday night. Go for a holiday. Go, it's, and it's that, quite, you can do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. It, but yeah. it's not, it, it, it's just what it is. Yes. Recreational use of, yeah. of like you use any other substance. Yes. Uh, therapeutic is basically, it's, it's going to not numb you. It's going to open you up to affects, which could be disturbing, which could be great. Yes. But it's going to open you up to affects, and then it blows you open to affects, and then you're like you're left with more of yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's going to cause problems of that's going to confront you with non-belonging because you're like I've got all these emotions and they don't fit anywhere, mm-hmm. and no one's and it'll confront you to the problems of the other. Yeah. 
Yes. Because like I have big feels, right? So like like okay, well <laughs> I have big feels too. So, so but there's this problem of the other that emerges with these. With, there's no really place for these big. There's too much of the subject. Um, uh, and we need to think through the, the, the therapeutic dimension of genuine talk therapy. Like yes, gen- that's exactly, and that's what, what I've seen missing in some of the, the people I know in that world is you can have an amazing experience by saying do an MDMA with, a th- with somebody who's there trip sitting and you feel like suddenly you're back in oneness with your partner and you feel amazing for a few days. Of course you do because you're on MDMA, right? right. Um, you know, but it's, it's yeah. what you kind of potentially need in the aftermath of that is then someone who's an analyst who can then do you can do transference with you can you can do projection you can do you can have the other so it's not a narcissistic mirrored experience. But yeah, you've opened up that yeah. idea to me that it can potentially have a use alongside talk therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 usually being done right now, and I think it probably is safest to be done, uh, and makes most sense to me to be done in combination with talk therapy and microdosing, mm-hmm. because with microdosing you're not uh, in a non-dual state; you're just more open. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you know you you're more in touch with certain uh, sensitivities, certain affects. Um, the mystical is basically, I think the mystical does have a place. I mean, I think if the I and I think the, the you know the mystical. If we had a place in our society for the mystical in, in the sense that instead of on every street corner we have a, have a not to demonize liquors, not to, not to demonize liquor, but if instead of on every corner we have a liquor store, we have a places in our society for ceremonial uh, contact with the mystical, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that that, that, that could be uh, an important part of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a healthy society. I know I'd, we'd have to think it through because I could because I could see you know I can see a brave new world version of it yeah. you know and but I can also see a productive version. The problem is, of course, it's like cannabis in America is that now there are in every corner of these yeah. shops and it's it's woven into the consumerist kind of economic system. That's and, the thing, yeah. like, and that's you know ultimately you know like here like we're having a conversation about a specific topic, but of course I mean. Uh, the biggest uh, horizon is like, well, Zizek said, it's it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism, right? Like, and ultimately, all of these things, no matter what we're talking about, they are um, sucked up into capitalist machinery. So, like, you've you've got you know uh, even cannabis or mushrooms, and we've got companies who are now uh, moving in and 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 fighting for territory. And yeah. actually, that's the metaphysical battle within within the capitalist horizon, and that is quite vicious, right? Like, and, and people and are this, fighting for market yes. share. And, yeah, and this government, like, this is a potentially very quickly going to be a multi-billion-dollar industry. It's a huge yeah. business. So it's very, and every time that money is involved including in medicine and therapy or whatever big questions have to be asked and this is a multi-billion dollar industry i think ultimately psychedelics is um a a symptom Mm -hmm. um but it can be but it but it but it it also has a uh there's also a positive dimension to the symptom and and also enjoy your symptom yes exactly. right so there so there is that there is there is that contradiction which we need to think through and that's why we're basically i think that what we're trying to think is on the level of philosophy because if you're on the level of philosophy basically what you're trying to do is think the material of contradiction yes and so if we're thinking the material of contradiction, we have to say, okay, psychedelics are uh, having a moment. Um, how can we actually 
um, think through how best to navigate this moment. Uh, yes. There should be a space for enjoyment of symptoms, um, but at the same time, we should have a space for real philosophical analysis of yes. symptomology of society. And that's why we're having this conversation, because like, I could, I think it's got to the point where I think having this conversation is important precisely because of how big this is and it needs to yeah. be thought through. And something you said to me earlier, because yeah. um, now we're on the metaphysics really, is that you said, um, with something that I've noticed, but you said like a lot of the people in the 60s, the smart people who were doing this, for whatever reason, they weren't writing. You know, they were speaking, you said like kind of equivalent to Burning Man. Yeah. But, but in terms of like good literature and good nothing. thinking, there's, yeah. There's, there's virtually poverty. nothing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's impoverished. And, and so that, that brings us to the problem of um, this distinction, which is so important in the science of logic between immediacy and mediation. And, 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 and basically the difference there is between the immediacy of your ego just being obliterated uh, and the mediation of um, negativities in the world. Like and that's but but we have to like that's again bringing it to thinking the material of contradiction is that we have to think our moment and 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 and, and we have to uh, continue to not just have podcasts but do genuine research, um, build genuine research programs, and we have to continue to write books and we have to continue to build an intellectual philosophical environment that is capable of sense-making uh, the complexity of this reality. And, and at the moment, it seems like it's dominated by neuroscientists. Like, that's, a, the, that's the only people who seem to be, you know, writing Well, they get the most funding. They most get the most funding. And, they get the most and funding. there's a place for that stuff, but it also, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's not as rigorous intellectually sometimes, you know. Although it's... it's and it, it's yeah. that space of, that space of, of, of um, presuppositions is basically where the philosopher will, will, will operate yeah. and question and, and be a questioner. So like, for example, I just read a study um, about a, a philosophy of neuroscience where they're questioning the connectivist paradigm within neuroscience. Mm. So like this idea that we could do the connectome and we could study all the connections in the brain and that we could map all the connections in the brain. But this new philosophical reflection on that paradigm was basically uh, pointing towards the fact that it's actually not just the connections in the brain that are important, but actually the shape or the form of the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much the connections of the brain, that there are other organisms that have more connection. But just saying, like, this is a space of presuppositions, a space of questioning yeah. presuppositions. And we need philosophy to do that. Yeah. Right. So and, and, and we should also, you know, for example, the presupposition of neuronal uh, neuronal correlates that that we can correlate your subjective experience with a certain con connected pattern in the brain. This is a space where we can have uh, philosophers questioning these pr yes. presuppositions. And what does that really mean? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, and, and so, for example, and this has relevance to the psychedelic space, I'm very sympathetic to where, for example, you put me an MRI machine on my head while I'm on ayahuasca, and I have some experience of Jesus, and then you say that's connected to a certain neuronal pattern. It's like, well, there's still the phenomenology of that experience. Yes. Yeah. That phenomenology of that experience is, is, is you showing me that there's a certain connection in my brain that's connected with that phenomenology it means nothing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so, so these, these types of things is where philosophy is very operative. Um, and and so and then on uh, you know beyond the phenomenology, metaphysics is based, Metaphysics is not really phenomenology. Metaphysics is logic, and so and that's fundamental because basically the logical categories we use to organize our world is basically when we're talking about politics, we're talking about. Um, again, bringing it back to in the 1960s, psychedelics was a mystical, generative 
um, force that led to new metaphysical battles related to feminism, civil rights, and all these other things, and, and, and the way in which we categorized our world. So the question I have is um, really, what is the relationship in the 21st century between psychedelics and a new metaphysics? Because I, it seems to me on the level of metaphysical battles, a lot of people are rehashing categories from the 20th century, whether it's communism, fascism, whether it's like liber liberal democracy. We have a we have a crisis of categories. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should. Uh, I'm thinking about the time, so I want to kind of like yeah, just summarize then where we've come. We, did, we talked about the hold and the hold, the disruptive, and we. I think that's for me one of the most important areas, and that's what that's good. We spent time on that. Um, I would like to have talked about yeah my own. You know, experience within the charismatic tradition, which has very similar experiences to the experiences on DMT and MDMA, um, uh, and this idea of a subtractive mystical experience. So mm -hmm. maybe that will be a conversation for another time. Or do you want to say anything about? Well, that? I can say something yeah. very quickly about it because, like, I do think it's important to talk, and we—it's important that I think we get this right. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example. The whole is usually the whole with the W H O L E is basically usually some sort of substantial identification where I feel full. Yeah. Um, now, in the Hegelian tradition, so Hegelian philosophy, if you look right from the start of the preface of the Phenomenology of Spirit, what Hegel's basically saying is is that uh, we're not just dealing with uh, a human being and a human society which has lost connection to the whole with the W-H-O-L-E, but they've become reflective of the whole, the, the H-O-L-E, that there's something missing, that there's a nothing, there's a lack, there's something gaping mm. in being. Yeah. And he says, um, the common people will demand philosophers to somehow reconnect them to the, the whole, mm. the, the W-H-O-L-E, but he, said, he denies this path. Yes. Right, and and he basically he says no. You've got to go into the hole. Yes, and going in, and what's at stake in going into the hole? Very simply, is differentiation, mm -hmm. uh, conceptual differentiation. And if you think about the history of the modern world, what is it about? It's mostly about uh, creating the political spaces for genuine, um, uh, genuine individuation. Mm -hmm. uh, and now that's politically most seen in like rights movements. You have women's rights movements, you have gay rights movements, you have civil rights movements, you have animal rights movements. So it's all about basically creating more rights, more political spaces, more freedom for individuation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the philosophy that's come from the post-Hegelian world, like I'm thinking about Deleuze as a metaphysician, he's emphasizing individuation. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, em he's emphasizing difference. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so, so when we think about difference, when we think about individuation, I mean, ultimately, we have to think about how difficult it is to build genuine communities, genuine social spaces, inclusive of individuation. We can't go back to the traditional models of wholeness. Yeah. Where yes. you and yeah. the traditional models of wholeness are trying to eradicate differentiation. They're trying to create homogenization. They're trying to create undifferentiation. Mm. And this is this is really, uh, to me, one of the things where there's many different thinkers from. From 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 uh, from Lacan to Girard to Deleuze, who who would be 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 bringing our attention to the problems of political totalitarian political movements, which are trying to create undifferentiation. Yes, yes, very good, very good. Well, so we've covered that. I also we brought up, you know, just just bringing up kind of what we covered uh, the question of you know the unconscious and psychedelics, and I kind of wanted to bring that up. Question of uh, psychedelics as connecting us with the world or 
disconnected us from the world. We mm. talked about that. The um, questions around uh, what were the other concerns? Well, thing that we already touched on, but the difference between different structures and doing psychedelics, and you know. How beneficial is it, for example, for someone who's got a psychotic structure or autistic structure? Um, these are open questions. These are open questions. So, yeah, but, so I'm but, always going to answer the questions but, we'll but, explore. But, yeah. but generally speaking, um, psychedelics tend to um, uh, be most conducive to the neurotic structure, it yes. seems. Yes. And, and, and potentially more dangerous for the psychotic person in the sense of further distancing themselves from the world. Because the problem with the psychotic is that they're, they're precisely um, out of the world. Yes, I know. That, that's my intuition as well. Yeah, that, you know, that that's what we're... Whereas yeah. with the neurotic, you say you have some neurotic obsessional fixation and, and, and the psychedelic state might... Uh, give you some distance loosen from that up, and yeah. loosen it up a bit and maybe you think about it more maybe you play with it differently yes exactly exactly well listen man this has been fascinating mm. thank you so much for this conversation um, I've got a feeling people want to kind of like go deeper into these conversations and mm -hmm. you have a uh, an interview you did with Peter what was his name Peter Shawstead Hughes Shawstead Hughes always get his name but that you know we look at yeah. this and explore this so check that out um, yeah. but apart from that man thanks so much for being part of Wake yesterday and yeah. being part of this Paro seminar today it's been a pleasure and if anyone wants to find out more of my work philosophyportal.online fantastic thank you bye everybody